Sasha Petrenko created the installation Forest, Time, Water in 2023 for the Jack Straw New Media Gallery. I sat down with Sasha in the Jack Straw studio to talk about the interactive sculpture in her installation and the 300 years of tree ring data she sonified into musical notes. walked in, you would see a nine-foot-tall icasa hedron, which is a 20-sided sphere consisting of equilateral triangles. Um, and it's constructed of wood rods that are about six feet long each, and there's 30 of them. And I carve them all by hand. Not like from a tree, but like from, you know, um, standard lumber, cherry, maple, and Douglas fir. And there's 12 connectors, um, and they're cast in bronze or aluminum. Um, So that's maybe the most sort of visually kind of immediate thing you'll see. And then uh, there's a video playing. It's actually playing on two walls, and it's kind of... um, it looks like one big video uh, that um, spans across a corner to two walls that are hitting at a corner. And um, so you'll see that. And then in the middle of the uh, casahedron is a six-foot-tall aluminum tree, or what used to be a tree. It's um, actually the top of a snag. And a snag is a tree that dies and stays standing up. So this was actually, I found it in the forest near my house, and I felt like it was okay to remove it because I felt like it looked old enough and all the bark was gone that it had already kind of given up itself to the forest. So I didn't feel like I was taking anything, but I did feel kind of guilty. <laughs> but um, but I cast it in aluminum, and so I teach sculpture in Bellingham, Washington, at Western Washington University. And we have one of the only foundries, I think, at a, at a state a school. And so I cut up this six-foot-tall snag and um, had it in the sandblaster for a little while to kind of differentiate between the sapwood and the heartwood. So it looked like more like driftwood. And then I cast it in aluminum. And it's in three parts, reconnected. And also in the icosahedron are about nine elements hanging from the top triangle. And these small pieces of cast items were actually taken from the Farallon Islands, which are, um, are about 30 miles off the coast of San Francisco. But um, so I took these pieces uh, with me, and now they're hanging from the top triangle of the icosahedron. So these cast parts, the connectors are cast the aluminum tree, all of these things are conductive. They're metallic. And that's important because the piece is interactive. So whenever a person um, touches a conductive piece of the installation, something happens, something changes. So most of the electrodes are connected to Ableton. And basically the sculpture is like a MIDI keyboard. And it starts playing samples 
And then the tree itself is connected to, what am I using? Resolum, which is a VJ software. And also it's a it's another MIDI device. The tree has become a MIDI device. And when you touch it, it turns on and off different video layers. And the video layers and the sound is all related to paleodendrology, the study of tree rings, and specifically one particular study that talked about since uh, 1693 until 2014, the Pacific Northwest storm track has been growing in intensity and also drifting northward. And what I've done with this project, which is new, this project is part of an ongoing, it's kind of like a sci-fi rock opera type of thing called Forest Time. And I did Forest Time Fire, um, and this is Forest Time Water. And so I'm sonifying data. So I, I looked at this graph, which was basically data visualization, right? And I just translated the data points. There are numbers on one side and years on the other. And I translated the data points to musical frequencies, and then I got notes. rock bands that influenced Forest Time Water? It was really interesting as I started learning to play these chords because, you know, I started really playing the guitar during COVID. You know, I was playing the bass before that. And so I'm still learning, you know, I'm like, it's it's a struggle. Like I have I have like a whole chart that I look at when I practice, you know, with all the different notes. So at first it was kind of jazzy and I don't really know too many people in jazz to mention, but then it got kind of sludgy and more like power chords and metal. So certainly, I feel it also has a very Pacific Northwest kind of vibe in a way. So like, you know, Nirvana, Soundgarden. Um, But then my sort of deep influences are like PJ Harvey, for sure. Because she has such a strip, she, she can have, she doesn't always do this. Sometimes she gets really, you know, grand with her mu- songwriting, but it's kind of stripped down, you know, it's usually like the voice and, and an instrument. And then I'm also interested in, you know, Pink Floyd, you know, so you can just kind of trip out. And, and then a lot of, you know, sort of sound artists. One of my friends, Andrea Poli, is an artist and an educator, and she put out this two-hour-long album where she was visiting Antarctica, and it was kind of a combination of conversations and then, you know, uh, field recordings, and then also I think there was definitely some, had to be some, I mean, maybe some of the the beeps and, and sort of the melodies were created by various instruments, but she's definitely been an influence on me.
I don't know, it's like they're just pushing them aside. It was a neighborhood in the sense that you knew who, were, who was here. Al, the German, he used to bring his food up for him. And they had to pack him down the um, In your artist talk yesterday, you briefly mentioned being a political and ecological refugee. Mm. Well, I wouldn't say I'm a political refugee. I'm, I think I meant to say um, environmental and economic. But I guess those are political. It's all political. My parents were actually political refugees and were brought to this country um, by the by the government. They were um, in Prague uh, right before the fall um, Prague Spring, which happened in 68. Um, so, yeah, so my parents were legit political refugees. I left California as, I would say, an economic refugee. It was really difficult to make a living there. So many wonderful artists <laughs> that um, there's just not enough jobs. And I really wanted to teach um, ever since I was in my early 20s and just started going back to college, I was like, I'm going to teach because school is awesome and this is fun. And um, and I really wanted to. I tried so hard, but I was commuting from like – I lived in Santa Cruz in the Santa Cruz Mountains in a cabin. I had a honey bucket. Like I didn't have any plumbing, but it was beautiful and cheap. And um, And I was commuting up to Sonoma State to teach. And I was actually there in 2017 when they had the first big fire in recent memory. And um, school was shut down for two weeks. I was living in Berkeley. I was sleeping. um, I kept my art studio in Berkeley, so I would sleep there sometimes. And uh, it woke me up. I smelled the Sonoma fire before I heard about it in Berkeley. And, I mean, that's a huge fire. So... That was kind of terrifying. You felt like it was going to get worse before it was going to get better. And then in 2018, there were more fires in Tahoe. There were fires in Santa Cruz Mountains. And I was I was off that summer. I actually was recovering. I had ankle surgery, and I was on unemployment. And you have to apply for jobs when you're on unemployment. And I applied to Temple University and also Western Washington. And I was like, I'm not going to get these jobs, you know. I'd put a deposit down to become a yoga instructor. And both of them wanted me. Like, Temple flew me out. Um, Yeah, I I finally realized I didn't want to live in Philly. I was like, okay, this is cool, but no, I'm like, I'm in the mountains now. I need to stay in the mountains. I'd spent my time in the city and you know, that crush of people and the traffic and also just the pain, you know, of there's so many people that are suffering. And I just, I ran out of armor. Um, and that's when I moved to Santa Cruz. And then when I talked to the people at Western, it was just like a connection. Something happened. And and I remember writing down in my journal, I'm like, there's something magical going on. And, um, yeah, I just... Um, found out about a month ago that I have tenure now, so I'm gonna stick around. That's, that's <laughs> freaking awesome. It yeah, it is. I do feel guilty sometimes, you know, like that I left um, the place that I call home for most of my life, and that there's still all of these economic and and environmental 
um, struggle that that we have to all deal with. And that's kind of Forest Time Fire where that started. Or I, I got a residency at Sage Hen Field Station, which which is a experimental forest in the Tahoe National Forest. Most of the sort of the dialogue and the, what's going on in that, there's like two stories. There's like a science scientific kind of lecture going on, and then there's this like sci-fi narrative going on. There's time travel and anyway, um, but it was really about like learning about fire forest ecology and learning that, you know, the Tahoe National Forest is like a tinderbox. It is suffered through so much, uh, starting with clear cutting. So when you clear cut, all the trees grow back like weeds. Um, and the truth is, is that the indigenous people, the native people of California, they they thinned the forest. They They set it on fire. They had controlled burns like twice a year, and the forest was patchy. It wasn't this like wall-to-wall, you know, tree, like it's like you can barely walk through. Um, So when there's too many trees, and it sounds kind of funny saying that, but it's true, um, they don't have enough nutrients. And then if there's any sort of a drought that's, you know, happening more frequently with climate change or just the natural cycle of things, they start to die. And then as they're dying, it kind of alerts other um, other pests. So now there's also this beetle, this bark beetle. So they have drought. There's this bark beetle that's killing the trees that are starting to suffer and not dead yet. And then there's just no funding to do anything about it. So... What I was doing, along with a lot of other individuals, um, the Nevada Museum of Art, um, which has a really wonderful kind of environmental position, created this group. And it was about sort of science communication and using sort of making art about these environmental issues so more people would be sort of touched by it somehow, you know. And that's something that inspired me to make this work and make the work that I started making in like 2011 that's very sort of environmentally, ecologically driven. And prior to that, I felt kind of funny, like, oh, it's, they're going to think I'm a hippie or, you know, something like that. But then I started reading philosophy and, you know, uh, new materialism and posthumanism and Donna Haraway and, you know, Timothy Morton. And there's these really brilliant thinkers and writers that are feeling the same way. Like I was like, yes, people are having the conversation. I'm joining in and I'm going to be creating artwork about it. And so I'm just trying to make people have an emotional experience about this sort of data so that maybe we can make small changes that accumulate into something, something, a better future, you know. Or at least, let's just have this experience because, you know, the future is uncertain. And they had to pack him down those damn stairs the day he left. I begged him. Vicious circle. Because they have to come up on their rates and the whole thing. The old people can't afford it. They've got to get out. Now, where are they going to go? Are you going to go into the low-income housing? You never, you know, just, there's no, um, now, you know, you walk by somebody, you don't even say anything.
What are you proudest of in your installation? I'm really starting to like the sort of almost like how half the room is a projection. And it's it's the sculpture is actually becoming integrated with the shadows of the sculpture hitting the projection. I'm really liking how it's all starting to mesh. I still want like if I had a better mounting system to get everything, if I had bigger projectors, if I had a bigger room. Um, I'm proud of the the way it looks right now. I'm proud that I went back in there and rewired the whole thing because I was not happy with it. You know, I didn't realize how sensitive all these electrodes are, and um, and I just went back and redid it, and I'm much happier with it. I also added some extra wires because I realized that the wires were so such a prominent element that I needed to, using my sort of design principles, I'm like, I need to add some more over here. So it kind of starts creating this, like gives the viewer kind of a map to move around the sculpture. I'm glad that they're all, that it works because <laughs> that was also really a struggle. I mean, it's, run, it's, it's running on two pretty powerful MacBooks right now. I don't know how sustainable that is, but um, I guess Minimax might be something to look into. But I think the thing I'm most proud of is that I actually finally did it. Like I actually finally took the data and related it to musical frequencies, and I'm starting to make something kind of that sounds like music out of it. My process, it's not very straightforward. There's like a lot of kind of swimming around and getting lost and you know I wrote a whole like 20 minute script for forest time water and I'm not using any of it you know so it's like it has to get to a point where I have sort of a personal relationship with the work or where something happens in my life that sort of makes the work mean something more than just like oh I'm going to make this thing like it's I don't know it needs to be more connected to like my actual experience. And like one example is when I was reading the data and I was I was reading it in PDF and uh, Adobe PDF and I was highlighting things with the little highlighter and then I started drawing with the highlighter and I was like, "Wait a minute. Oh, I should do a screen recording." And so I made this animation in Adobe PDF, and now that's part of the video. So that was kind of one thing where I was like, wait, this is like really happening. It's not like this kind of made up thing. Like I'm actually sitting here going like this. I don't know, something like that makes me excited. And then also collaborating, you know, getting into Andy Bunn's tree lab and looking through the microscope. And, you know, that was all where all of that came is what the video is made of. And the, the forest scenes are from uh, Hundred Acre Woods, which is near my house. So for me, those are the things that I'm most proud of is being able to like make something that is real to me somehow. And then it's based on some of my lived experience and then sharing that with people and, and seeing them have their own experience. Um, I guess they, it's like writing, right? Write about what you know. So I, I need that, too, in my, my creative practice. So Forest Time Water, it's kind of telling the story of this woman and her crew who were expelled from their time mm -hmm. 
for basically telling the truth about what's happening in ecology. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people can relate to that story. There's a lot of real-world parallels. And when I was in the space, it felt like, you know, when I was navigating it, touching stuff, watching the screens and the sounds, it felt like I was time traveling. It felt like I was um, that woman who was sent back in time from her perspective. Was that on purpose? Was that intentional? And, and how did you... And yeah, tell me about that. Gosh, I think it's just the story trying to tell itself. You know, I mean, how do you illustrate time travel? I think it's like nonlinear thinking, which is, I think, more natural. I think that's the way we, you know, like you're thinking about something now and then you're remembering something from the past. And I don't know, my brain is very nonlinear. And I remember when I first started working um, with video, actually, I was really freaked out because I'm like, what am I going to write like this? It's going to be a plot and it's going to have a beginning, a middle and an end. I'm like, I don't even I don't know what's going on. It was totally terrifying. And I read this book by another author who I can't remember his name, but I remember the book was called um, it was called Homecoming, I think. And it was some German or Austrian nature writer. And he was like all over the map. He was writing a short story about being in France and walking through these mountains. And then he was thinking about this paintings by Cezanne, who did a lot of these like – it was much more abstract and I think very kind of less less fun and hokey than a lot of the Impressionists. He was more veering towards abstraction and even cubism. Um, so he was – thinking about Cezanne. He's walking through this countryside. He was thinking about some personal relationships. It was like a nonlinear, nonlinear narrative that felt like it gave me permission to just start using time travel as a way to tell story um, because then you can just kind of follow the story, you know. And because as as our lives unfold, things that happen in the past affects what's happening now and then that will affect the future. So it, it's kind of all over the place. So I guess maybe that's a little bit of why it might feel like that is because it is like kind of all over the place. But that's kind of how I think. And then sort of aesthetically, I think I was trying to make it look kind of post-apocalyptic, you know, how it was like there was like technology, but it was kind of handmade. Sasha Petrenko's installation, Forest, Time, Water, was created through the Jack Straw New Media Gallery Residency Program. Podcast interviewer and producer is Carlos Nieto. Engineer is Daniel Gunther. The Jack Straw Residency Programs are made possible with support from the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture, Washington State Arts Commission, National Endowment for the Arts, Rainier Institute and Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. To learn more about our arts programs and hear more podcasts, visit us at jackstraw.org.